Hi, my name is Silvia Gorajek and you're watching Valley Talks, talks on real life stories of Silicon Valley startups. Today with me is Michael Perry, founder of KIT, and we're at the awesome Shopify office in San Francisco. KIT is the virtual marketing assistant that got acquired by Shopify in 2016. Mm -hmm. And Michael, thanks so much for joining me on Valley Talks today. I am beyond thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a long time and uh, excited to have a good conversation. For sure, we were trying to kind of schedule this for like a year, I guess. That's it, crazy. This is by far been the most anticipated talk I've ever had because oh, we have been so working much. on this for a year. Yes. I've been wanting to come on the show. Uh, it's just been a crazy 12, 13 months. I'm happy, like so thrilled we finally made it happen. And I thought that we could be matching like with glasses I today. Know. This is my first time I'm wearing glasses on my know. show and I was like, at least I'm going to match Michael we on this. We a good vibe. <laughs> All you need to do is wear a blue shirt and blue jeans and we could have been twins. But. <laughs> Uh, I foolishly have forgotten my glasses at home today, so if I'm squinting, I apologize. So it's just me. It's just you, but you but can carry yeah. the look for the two of us. You're, well, you're pulling it off, so hopefully, it's a good look. hopefully. So this is a new office, right? It is. Uh, it's is this especially kind of created for Kit? Yeah. So when when Shopify acquired the business um, back in April 2016, we were nine people. We were in about 800 square feet, 700 square feet. It was a very small office. Mm -hmm. Uh, no conference rooms. Just, it was not really a great operational space. Um, so after the acquisition, we started looking at office spaces. We're now in this beautiful space here in uh, the financial district. Yes. And uh, it's both a blend of people focused on Kit, but we have a lot of Shopify core people as well here working on our app store, um, business development, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, it's the heart of San Francisco, right? Yeah. It's Market and New Montgomery. Awesome location. Yeah, the location was critical for us. Um, you know, we knew that people would be commuting, we want to be close to BART. So acquisition of Kit mm -hmm. to Shopify in 2016 made pretty big news. It did, yeah. Um, and I definitely want to talk about how this happened, you know, kind of a little bit behind the scenes of this. Uh, but maybe first let's explain what Kit does. And is it any different right now than what it was before it got acquired? Well, I think it's different because it's gotten better. But mm -hmm. in principle, the idea of what we're trying to accomplish hasn't changed. So Kit is a a fully automated uh, virtual assistant that Shopify merchants text message with or talk to over Facebook Messenger to handle all of their marketing. We also have a uh, what we call skills ecosystem so that developers can build other talents for Kit to kind of help merchants with their store. Mm. Um, so we launched that business back in 2013, uh, you know, very early in the bot space and got really lucky with all that. And uh, once Shopify acquired the company, we spent some time handling some technical debt and like integrating into the Shopify ecosystem a little deeper. And now we've, for the last six months, have gotten really back to innovating and trying to make uh, Kit you know, the greatest product in the world, greatest employee in the world. We started with SMS. There was no uh, Facebook API ecosystem for bots yet, or Telegram API ecosystem for bots yet, or Skype API yeah. ecosystem for bots yeah. yet. None of these things existed. So, you know, we started with text message because back then that's how people talked. They mm -hmm. talked back and forth over text mm -hmm. and we wanted for Kit to be a part of their daily life. So it is an, a bot yes. that helps merchants to market their products yes. on Facebook, on, yes. on Instagram, right? Is mm -hmm. this the main kind of uh, channel or? Yeah, so I mean, I think the one thing that we discovered, we started as a marketing tech company you know, back in 2013. And we realized that we actually were solving the wrong problem, right? And I think that most great companies, there's a really clear identified issue and they make a really great solution for that problem. Mm -hmm. And we just weren't solving the right problem. And so the problem actually wasn't the marketing technology itself. Mm -hmm. It's that most small business owners 
can't afford to hire somebody to help them with their marketing, mm -hmm. right? They're focused on making their bags or figuring out uh, inventory issues or whatever it is. But marketing is a challenging space. They're unfamiliar with it and they can't hire the help they need. When we kind of changed gears in 2014, not to be a marketing tech company, but try to kind of really focus on the issue of labor that small business owners face, um, we really took like, you know, Facebook ad tech was our first thing we tried to tackle. Could you talk mm -hmm. to a robot to do your Facebook ad buying? And that was incredibly successful. We took something that was extremely complex, extremely time consuming, and got it down to three text messages. And that blossomed into, let's help them update their Facebook page. And then that blossomed into, well, let's venture down and do email marketing. And then how can we help them actually thank their customers and you know, take a different approach to the mm -hmm. funnel and help them drive repeat business and to create customer loyalty? So we went down that road. And uh, then we went into Instagram ads. And then mm -hmm. we kind of reached this point where this became like a very obvious um, like journey that we could keep kind of knocking down these marketing tasks. Mm -hmm. Or we can pause for a second and build out an API that allowed for other people to help us accelerate another white space that we didn't want to kind of go into. And uh, it's been just uh, fascinating to watch people build relationships with mm -hmm. Kit. Some people refer to Kit as a he. Yeah, Some people refer to she. Kit as a she. Uh, they save Kit in their phone like they would a friend. Yeah. And so it's just been, it's this weird thing to watch how people's behavioral change with software is happening in front of your eyes mm -hmm. and that you were a guy that got to build a company to, to kind of experience that transition. And I think we're... Uh, I think we're approaching some incredibly exciting times ahead as we kind of shape the future of how people will shift from using software as a service to yeah. using software as a labor source. And you're focusing on, well, right now, of course, because you're with Shopify, but even before that, you were focusing on retail. Yes. Not necessarily Correct. marketing like services or, or media or content in Correct. general. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that like, I, I come from a retail background uh -huh. and that's really what I'm passionate about and care about. My uncle had a brick and mortar business. Mm. My grandfather had a brick and mortar business. I worked for my father for a number of years. And... I don't really know the service business that well or the needs of a small business owner that is focused around services. And so I thought we had a competitive advantage to focus on people who I really relate to, who I thought that I knew inside and out. I felt like they were a part of my family. Mm -hmm. And what could we do to kind of help keep those people in business? So Kit wasn't, wasn't really a messaging bot from the very beginning. No. And was this the moment when kind of you know, it shifted when it comes to your business because for a while you kind of struggled to find the, the market fit. That's right. Right? Big time. This changed my life. And how changed did you... Changed my business, changed everything, yeah. How did you realize this? I know that for sure you were talking to your customers. Was mm -hmm. this actually the main kind of way how you realized this is the way to go? So... Uh, a, a lot of it was inspired by talking to our customers. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily from the idea, but what was happening was we were a small three-person company and... We were building this web application and uh, Aram, my business partner and I, were basically spending our days calling small business owners, explaining to them how to use the technology. Okay. Um, the purpose was kind of the same. It was the same. It was optimizing Facebook ads, helping with social posting, helping with marketing. Right, but through a website. Through a website. And um, I didn't want to become a service business. I didn't want to become a small agency, agency or yeah. anything like that. And uh, I was walking home and uh, my grandmother text messaged me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Like my grandmother, who's in her 70s, mm -hmm. just sent me my first text message. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget it. This is going to sound so bizarre, but I went home. I got in my shower. You know, after most entrepreneurs have a long day, tough day. Yeah. And for some reason, that text message from my grandmother just never went away in wow. my mind. It dawned on you. It dawned on me. I'm like, 
I wonder how she learned how to text message. Because mm-hmm. a lot of our problem I, was educational. Really, yeah, I'm not really mm, texting with my grandparents at all. Yeah, you know? right? Yeah. So it's like, for her, it was like fairly intuitive. There was no learning curve for her. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking about that, thinking about that. And then I remembered when I first started using Twitter, it was an SMS-based product. Um, I used to text message with Twitter over the number was 404-44. I still do my tweeting that way, actually. Um, And I thought, shit, I wonder if somebody could text message with Kit. Mm -hmm. And just like that, I got out of the shower. I ran to my table. My wife thought I was, like, being crazy. I'm, Mm -hmm. like, soaking wet in our living room. I'm just scribbling down all these ideas. And I literally remember telling her, like, like it was yesterday, Mm -hmm. I think I just thought of a really big idea. Wow. And it took like another month or six weeks for me to figure out because mm-hmm. at that point, I didn't know how this would all work. And uh, I ended up going off to this little town in Northern California called Sea Ranch and uh, was up there for a couple of days and wireframed out how I thought talking back and forth to Kit would look like and came back and my co-founder Mike and I shared with him the sketches and uh, we built Kit that way and the interface has never changed still to this day. Wow. And it was just like right away humongous, humongous success. Like day one, I remember like a weekend being like we're pivoting our whole company. Like this is going to be the future. And uh, it was just an incredible uh, incredible moment in my life. You nailed it. (laughs) I nailed it. Um, Kind of. I I don't want to say that because that sounds sounds a bit arrogant. But But it just means it can happen too. It can happen. I mean, mind mind you, we've iterated a lot. We've improved a lot. Like, but we've stayed the Mm core. Like the bigger thing was that for many years we were married to this problem that we were tired of seeing small businesses struggle with technology. And so we kept trying to make the technology easier, but we never thought outside the box. Like why were they mm-hmm. struggling with technology? We wanted to blame that the user experience was, was tough or the interface was bad or um, they didn't, you know, uh, they weren't tech savvy. Or like we, we went on this, every time we'd find some bullshit excuse to why it wasn't working. We failed one company and we pivoted and failed another company and pivoted. And the reality was that we were just solving the wrong problem. And the second we solved the right problem, um, it just like it just worked, it just worked. and yeah. there was no need to go back and ask, um, like, "Hey, yeah, do you yeah. like this?" Yeah. Like the numbers were just like ridiculous. Like we went from doing like you know ten Facebook ads mm-hmm. a month to like doing a couple hundred a day. Oh, wow. Like it was like substantial growth in the first thirty-one sixty days. It made us feel extremely confident about some of the decisions we mm-hmm. were making, but. We spent a lot of time trying to find that right problem. Yeah, I mean, it took you also, you know, a Companies, couple of years. Companies, years, yeah. failures, failures, yeah. failures, failures, failures. So, For sure. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted also to, to talk about that time. Yeah. Um, because this is super representative to what we all are going through when we mm. are running our own companies, right? Mm. Uh, for how long did you actually struggle before that kind oh. of shift? Uh, I know, like two years. Uh, no, longer than more. that. More. Yeah. But with Kit, yeah. it was. Oh, with Kit, it was a struggle for about eighteen months. Eighteen that. months, yeah. Um, before and that moment, but we had a company that we ran for three years before that. Uh huh. And another startup that we had for years before that. So you know, there's like this. There's this old saying that uh, an overnight success takes seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been six years since I've quit my job full time to be a, become a full time entrepreneur. So okay. next year will be year seven year where seven. I've been focused on being an entrepreneur in my life. And um, you know, it's so funny that I, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've kind of moved past that chapter of like my lights being turned off and all these things like that. 
um, in that moment, it felt just so overwhelming, so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like the reality is that like I desperately needed those lessons to become better at what I needed to become better at, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was making bad product decisions and I was rushing the process and I wasn't thinking cleanly and I was maybe not always hiring the right people and I didn't know how to fundraise. And so, yeah, I got turned down 50 times. Like there's a million things that happen, but now as a result of that, I'm 10x better today than I was then. And I think that this has been very, very important for me to be aware about these things because, yeah, it took me six years to get lucky, Mm -hmm. but like our work is still like half of a percentage done. Like we Mm -hmm. still have a very, 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 very long road. Um, Like we haven't had our moment in the sun yet. This is just a small sliver on a very long journey. And getting acquired certainly helped course correct that journey Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, who knows what the road would have been if we didn't get acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, like Shopify also didn't acquire us with the expectation that we were going to move to a resort, right? Like we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot For of sure. things to build. <laughs> so we still fail a lot. And we still are dealt The failures come, they're, they're, it's a different format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my electricity is not getting turned off anymore. Yeah. But I've had some humbling moments. I've made some poor decisions. And um, yeah. it's just a part of being an entrepreneur. You're not going to always get it right. And you bask in the sun for maybe 30 seconds when you do and you move on. What actually helped you to kind of push, you know, push further? Yeah. It was hard because your wife was the only supporter. She was. Did she ever actually let you kind of know that, you know, that's enough? You know, I, I think that my wife is, uh, at least in my life, is really kind of the unspoken hero. Um, mm-hmm. I look back now and I wonder like so many times like why did she not leave me or why did she not tell me to quit or why did she not? She never told you to quit. No, she never did. And, and I, I think that, you know, again, there's a really fortunate circumstance that before being a full-time entrepreneur, I, I sold cars for seven years. And in that situation, I was making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I was not super happy. No. And so, you know, as a life partner, she's seeing me, you know, grind it out, grind it out, make good money, but like not loving life. And here on the flip side, I went three years without making a paycheck, mm-hmm. didn't make five cents for a long time. And I was happier than I've ever been in my life, working harder than I'd ever worked in my life, didn't complain about the situation. Um, and so I think that, you know, a part of it probably, she felt she that like, I don't, happy. yeah, I'm happy. We'll and, find a way yeah. to make it happen and we'll just keep going. Um, but I think that we certainly had some like come to Jesus moments where it was like, hey, you know, we may financially never be okay, because you never yeah. know, you never really, know. right? It's yeah. not like, okay, it will for sure happen like one more year, right? Yeah. You don't know. And you don't know if you're wasting your time or not. Yeah. And, you know, a part of it too was, we used to talk about this a lot, um, is like I, I got turned down by dozens and dozens and dozens of venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, um, it was the fact that I didn't fit a profile that they thought made a good entrepreneur. Yeah. And you also mentioned in one of the previous interviews that you probably know that you couldn't sell the vision yeah. well enough so that yeah. they would um, trust yeah. your belief in this. That's also what I want to ask you because um, many investors also on Valley Talks say that CEOs need to perform well while yes. pitching. And yes. then I'm asking, you know, but what if they are not just with the greatest performance? But yeah. they say they have to because yeah. they, are, they have to be like this every day yes. when they are selling the vision. It's so, true. And, you know, in your case, Maybe you, you couldn't really sell the vision that well, but, yeah. but hey, you got acquired by Shopify, so, yeah, you know. That's true. So I think, that, you know, <laughs> when I was fundraising, I tried to sell it like I was selling a car and talked about the benefits of right now. And mm-hmm. 
you know, you're not going to go and trying to sell a car to talk about what the model looks like in three years because then people will wait three years to buy that car. Yeah. Um, you're trying to talk about this color that's available, this leather that's available. You're talking about the present. Uh, venture capitalists don't want to necessarily hear about what the present is because mm -hmm. they're investing in that future mm -hmm. and with the merit that you have some good things to support it. You know, I think for my team, we were able to accomplish so much so little because in the walls of our tiny office, I could sell that vision. I could talk about what two years look like, three years look like, four years look like, five years look like, and that motivated them to build with me. And what lit them, the fire underneath them even more was that no one else was believing in that. Right? So mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, them turning me down and not having capital forced us to be resilient. It forced us to make very sound decisions because we had to be very scrappy. We had to be ruthless in our part. So, you know, again, looking back, yeah, there's a million things I learned through that process that I could have fundraised better. I know for sure right now I'd have no problem fundraising, right? Like I've learned it a little bit. Yeah. But if, I, if it was easy fundraising then, I actually would not probably be in this seat right now. Right, because mm -hmm. a lot of the good decisions we made was as a result of being turned down by a lot of investors and us unwilling to give up, unwilling to go back. And so when you have very little, every decision you make is critical that it goes right. Um, so, you know, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, for anyone that's watching the show that's, you know, been turned down by 20, 30 people, you know, you, you just got to dig deep and keep going and understand that at some point it will all kind of yeah. uh, expose itself why that's happening. That's why we have to love what we are doing and do. really have this vision, right? Because otherwise it just wouldn't be physically possible. No. And, um, okay, so you found Shopify as a good partner. Great partner. At the very beginning. Yep. Um, probably because on Shopify, just, you know, your target yeah. audience and the users yeah. were kind of, you know, aggregated. Yep. And also Etsy was your partner. Our at, first partner uh, was Etsy, Etsy and then it was Shopify. Yeah. So, um, so did you actually manage to work together as partners before you got acquired and... Softly, yes. So Shopify is just was super generous to me. How um, did you actually approach them? How did the whole relationship get started? Yeah, so the very first time I approached them was in November 2014. Uh, we had Kit working in SMS format and I showed somebody and I said, hey, every single merchant should have this. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, I don't, no, that's not happening, right? Like, you have no traction. We're not going to just bake you into our product. And I said, okay, mm -hmm. that makes sense. That's fair. That's, a, that's kind of a okay. big ask. Uh, but how can I work better with you? What can I do? And so I was like, you know, build an app, be in the app store, do all these things. And I, and I was like, okay, I, I will do that. Uh, and it just kind of like, I think for me, what was really valuable was that they were transparent about like what was not going to happen. Like, no, we're not going to bake you into our product. But I still saw the platform so valuable that it was less about like me constantly asking them, what will you do for me? And me just trying to navigate, how can I maximize the opportunity? Mm -hmm. um, so that was like, I think a really great foundational thing is that we kind of knew each other's lane. We both wanted to solve problems for the right person. They wanted to promote me and push me, but like, it's just not gonna happen like some deep technical integration off the bat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that clarity set just the foundation for a good relationship. What was the, what was the moment when either you or, or them thought about the acquisition or, you know, can, yeah. you, can you just spill some beans here? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they had reached out to me at the end of 2015 a little bit to meet with uh, someone on their corp dev team. And uh, me and that guy got lunch and kind of hang out. And to be honest with you, I didn't really think much of it. Like mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, they're just kind of getting a feel for what's out there, what's going on in the world. He was in San Francisco. They were like, you guys should sync up. So uh, 
was very like soft, like very low expectation. And then uh, the conversations kind of picked up again in early 2016. And uh, my co-founder Mike and I flew to Ottawa and met with Craig, who's the chief product officer, and uh, Toby, who's the CEO, and a couple other people on the executive team. And just had like a really good day of talking about uh, what could the future look like if this was not just a, you're an app on our platform, but you're actually part of the Shopify family. Mm. Like what would what would it look like to help a small business owner not only open a store in a couple minutes, but also give them their very first employee in a couple minutes? And um, that future just was just, it was just too bright to kind of ignore, right? Like mm -hmm. there's no one out there in the world like Shopify and there's no product in the world like Kit. And what kind of superpower could we have if we came together to help small business owners find more success? And um, I just remember getting on the plane and still, you know, the, the likelihood of getting acquired is so small. It's like, I read some crazy statistic. It's like 0.00137% of For a startup to get acquired? Yeah, it's so small, right? And so my expectations were always very low because I look at acquisitions as distractions. I just wanted to build a big business. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting on the plane and flying home from Ottawa being like, wow, this would be, this, this would be really exciting if something like this happened. Mm -hmm. And um, 60 days later, the, the deal had gone through. And, uh, 60 days. Yeah, we were, you know, 61 days we were a part of the Shopify family. So uh, it's been, uh, again, just like, it's, it's really hard for me to put into words how lucky I feel. Um, I really, really feel incredibly grateful um, that not just that I got acquired, but that I have a really good relationship with them. Well, and yes. That they continue to let me do things. And more importantly, like I care deeply about small business owners and everyone from Toby, our CEO, down to the person who we're hiring today oddly has the same obsession for it. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's not artificial. It's just a very okay. real passion. And it makes like my happiness and my team's happiness very real that we can kind of do this together. And I just feel really lucky. You know, you talk to so many founders, like these kind of relationships are unheard of. Unheard and of, unheard of. And actually when it comes to acquisitions themselves, what's the, often the case is that they either want a, the product and pretty much really kill the product. Yeah. Or, you know, they want the team, but they, they, they right. totally do want to influence what yeah. to, how to grow this, you yeah. know, and Shopify is not a small company. No. It's not a startup at all. It's publicly it's a big, traded, it's 2,500 people. And so, yeah, a big corporation. So. Like my, my sister's boyfriend is a, a founder as well. And we just talk about all the time, just the rarity that they're allowing me to go down this road. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that also you had other offers to mm. get acquired. Yeah. So I, I guess this all happened when, you know, when it all speeded up with the bot. Yep. And so um, was this also happening in the time when Shopify was talking to you or was this kind of earlier? Did you have all a choice it. between yeah, like I mean, several we, companies? We, we, we had a couple of different companies throughout like maybe a four month window. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very interested in us. Yeah. And could you share some experience um, of you know how how the conversations were going, so that yeah. you know uh, people are, uh, in our audience who are maybe also starting to have similar offers, yeah. then can have uh, then can gain from your conclusions, kind of what to be aware of or what to kind of avoid. So I mean, for me, it was like quite simple. Um, I had the longest standing relationship with Shopify. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go work on enterprise technology. I didn't want to work on mid level technology. Um, like I want I want to work for small business owners. I want to be a servant to small business owners. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you have an obligation to your stakeholders, your investors, your team to listen to other offers. Um, but you also have an obligation to make sure that you do what's best for your business, right? And so uh, part of doing what's best for your business is understanding not just in terms of the return, but 
like what is the potential impact that you're missing out on? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when you kind of take all those pieces into the pie of like, where's my team going to be happiest? Where do we have the most opportunity? Sure, you have to take in consideration, you know, the return on the investment for your, for your investors and all, the, and all those things. But when you, when you formulated it all, for me, there was a clear-cut winner, a clear-cut place where I wanted my company to be at. And also a place where I believe that if anything ever happened to me and I ever stepped down, it would still succeed and survive and blossom and be everything that it could be. And there's only one company that that would be possible, and that's Shopify. Um, and so I, I really kind of honed in on trying to... I, by any means necessary, make that deal happen with them mm-hmm. um, because that's the outcome that I wanted to see happen. So it's been a year since you've been within Shopify and I'm sure you've been working on some amazing features for Kit and yes. where is it going right now? Yeah, so um, like I said a little bit earlier, like we, we've been now really heads down on the innovation aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've obviously been spending uh, most of our time over these past couple of years working on how can Kit help you with your marketing. Uh, now we're kind of starting to broaden that lens a little bit and seeing how it can help you with your business, how it can help, how it can help you set ah. up your store. So there's a lot of things that are coming down the pipe, both in terms of making Kit smarter, mm-hmm. making Kit uh, far more conversational, creating a better working environment for Kit. Um, but really, the the thing that I'm most excited about is the capabilities that we're bringing into Kit and how much more Kit's going to be able to do for a small business owner to help them have success. And again. Uh, it would not be possible without both the, the resources of Shopify, but a part of being inside the Shopify umbrella is having APIs and things that we wouldn't have had access to mm-hmm. as a, just a developer. So uh, the vision now gets to become the reality. Also, Michael, yeah. it's been such an exciting talk and so many fantastic insights for our audience, I'm yeah. sure. Thank, Thank you so much for having me.